Good morning, church family. So, in doing a series on the Holy Spirit, I read a lot of books. Uh, I bought, I I think I had alluded to last week, more books than I was actually going to read, which is not uncommon, I think, for preachers to say, I'm going to do a series on this. I'm going to go buy every book that I possibly can on the subject, and then we think we're going to read all of them, and like 50 of the 100 that we buy sit on our shelves for the rest of eternity. Um, I read a good number of books that I actually purchased. I went through uh, my, my digital library to read on the Holy Spirit, and I was excited about all the things that I was reading. I put together my sermon series outline. This is what each week is going to look like. I even you know, fleshed out the outline a little bit more and said, these are some specific points I want to make. And then at the end of things, I, uh, I pulled a George Bailey. You know, there's a moment where George Bailey is talking about all the things he's going to go do, all the places he's going to go see, and, and you know, then I, maybe I'll go to college and I'll see what those guys know, right? This is George Bailey's thinking. There's, there's some educated people out there. I'll find out what they think. Wonder, wonder if they know a thing or two. So I, after putting together my outline, went and I, I consulted other ministers, their, their sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And Kyle and I both ended up watching a series from Chris Seedman, who's the minister for The Branch. Uh, we had had the opportunity to hear him speak at the Pepperdine Lectures a couple of times and had been really impressed with him and his thinking and the way that he presented himself. Um, and so uh, one, one, I think it was a Wednesday afternoon, Jim Marnick walks into my office and he sees me watching a YouTube video of Chris Seedman preaching and says, well, what are you up to? And I told him, well, I'm watching, uh, I'm watching series on the Holy Spirit. And he said, are you going to get a hold of these guys and set them straight? And I told him, well, actually, I think they might be setting me straight. <laughs> this morning, I owe a lot of this particular sermon to Chris Seedman. Uh, in fact, the second sermon in his series was on the person of the Holy Spirit, and uh, now Chris had 45, almost 50 minutes that he, he was able to preach. I'm not going to do that this morning. You know I could, uh, but I'm not going to. Um, I do want to give you an idea, though, of where we're headed, because it, it's easy to say we're going to do a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and then for me to run all over the place and do a whole bunch of different things, because there's a lot of content on the Spirit. So this morning, I've titled our sermon, Not What, But Who, because sometimes we struggle to think about the Holy Spirit correctly. We think of it as some force that we can tap into. And there is some truth in that, that the Spirit applies empowerment to us, uh, uh, gives it, grants it, but we don't, we don't utilize the Spirit. The Spirit utilizes us. And the Spirit is not a force that we control or manipulate. He uses us. The Spirit is a person. So this morning we're going to talk about that. In the coming weeks, uh, you know, obviously last week we, we did our first uh, sermon on the Holy Spirit, A Mighty Wind. This week, not what, but who. Uh, so you think your God's gift is going to be next week. This is one that I think I personally needed to write and hear. Uh, we're going to talk about spiritual gifting and why it's not so much about us, although we sometimes think it is. Uh, after that, Kyle is going to be talking about cessation versus continuation of the gifts of the Spirit, of the activity of the Spirit in the lives of Christians. I've titled that, But That Was Then. Uh, following that, we're going to talk about walking in step with the Spirit, and then we're going to have what I'm calling In Conclusion, which is a really uh, bold title to offer for something as complex 
and difficult as the Spirit. I'm giving you this outline and this direction because I want to encourage you with this thought. Um, That last sermon is not completely written yet. I want to leave it open. If you have questions about the Holy Spirit, I might answer them in the next couple of weeks, uh, or at least approach them in the next couple of weeks. But if I don't, I want to be able to maybe provide some direction and some thought on questions that you have about the Holy Spirit. And this is something we don't typically do. We don't do a lot of like, hey, give me questions and I'm going to answer them on a Sunday morning. But this is a big enough topic that there are things maybe I haven't thought to address in my outline on, on this series that maybe God has placed on your heart for us to talk about, for us to hear. And so I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to email me questions, you can do that. Chris at NewbergCofC.com, and I'll get those emails. If you want to do it anonymously because you're not entirely sure that you want me to know that you're the one that asked this question, that's okay. You can drop it in the offering box, and uh, April Hammer will get it to me. I'm actually committing her to something I haven't asked her to do yet, but she opens up the box every week. And so uh, if, if you have a question that you'd like to submit anonymously about the Holy Spirit so that it can be answered or at least addressed, I, I don't want to suggest I have all the answers, but addressed, discussed, pursued, um, drop them in the box there or email me. Let me know that you have questions about the Holy Spirit, and I will do my best to at least begin the conversation in the direction that I think maybe, uh, maybe we're being called to. All right, preamble over. Uh, this is the image of the Spirit that most of us have. I think if we uh, consult scripture, we see the dove, right? Uh, this, uh, the Spirit of God descended like a dove and, and was on Christ during the baptism as the voice from heaven says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, this, this Trinitarian moment in scripture, which is beautiful and wonderful and affirming of the, the tripartite identity of our God, The only problem with this is that this is not the only image that Scripture uses for the Spirit. And sometimes I think, you know, as I said, we we think of the Spirit as a thing. We think of it as a a force to tap into or um, a way in which God moves, uh, some mode of our deity, not a person of the Godhead. This is actually a really essential theology for us to understand and hold, is that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are persons. They are not different parts of God. They are not different aspects of God. They are not different expressions of who God is. They are all persons that are a part of God. And it's easy for us to wrap our minds around the idea that the Father is a person, because we've all known fathers, people who are persons. We've all known sons. We can think of individuals who have been sons in our lives, people who have bodies, flesh and blood, that walk around among us and talk to us and look us eye to eye and have conversations with us. And sometimes we get so caught up in the idea that that's what personhood is, that they have a specific role in a family or a job that they're fulfilling or that they have a way in which they interact with us on a physical level. But Scripture is very clear that the Spirit is not a thing. The Spirit is a person. 
people have characteristics, ways in which they act and behave. I'm going to say something that uh, if someone ever decides to go on YouTube and and manipulate my words, uh, they'll be welcome to try it. The Spirit has humanized pronouns in Scripture. The Spirit is referred to as a he. It's it's referred to as a person. It, It is not an it. Even though I just said it is not an it. He is not an it. See, that's how difficult it is for us. We have so much trouble personifying the Spirit that we can't even talk about it him as a person without struggling over the the language that Scripture uses. When Jesus talks about the Spirit, it's not some abstract concept that's far off and difficult to understand. He is the person that empowers Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, isn't Jesus God? Why does he need to be empowered? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really know, but I know that Jesus tells us that it, it's the Spirit that empowers him. That the Father gives him wisdom, that the Spirit empowers him to do great works. And that when Jesus is doing great works and people say, this is from Satan, Jesus accuses them of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Not of blaspheming him, but of blaspheming the Spirit of God. It's so essential for us to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And so this morning, last week, I I wanted to share with you that the Holy Spirit is a mighty wind. The language that's used to describe the Spirit is powerful, strong, forceful. But I don't want you to be confused that the Spirit is a force. That's not how the Spirit works. I want you to understand that the Spirit is a person. And to do that, you know, we could spend the next three or four days looking at every scripture that addresses the Spirit in some way, shape, or form, or we could spend a little bit of time this morning just thinking about the verses in which we see the Spirit appear. And so I want to start off with, uh, with this first idea of a characteristic of the Spirit. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, we're told that the Spirit testifies. This is, this is a characteristic of the Spirit, a way in which he behaves. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. And you may be thinking, Jesus is the truth. How can the Spirit be the truth? Well, again, as Chris Seedman would say, this is not a math problem. This is not an equation that we're trying to figure out. Jesus is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. The Father is the truth. All three of them are the truth, but it's important for us to recognize what the Spirit does with the truth that he has. He testifies about it. He tells us what it is and gives us an account of it so that we can process it and think on it and dwell on it and ruminate on it so that we might be able to grow in our faith and our understanding of the truth. If you want to hear the truth, the Spirit is a good place to go. The Spirit is also one that speaks. He speaks, first of all, to us. 
The Spirit speaks to us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And Paul goes on to the other things that these people might devote themselves to. But he tells us that the Spirit has communicated things to us, to believers. The Spirit speaks to us. But not only that, the Spirit also speaks for us. Paul has one of the most complex theologies of the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture, but he's not the only one in the New Testament that discusses the Holy Spirit. It's just that he happens to talk a lot about what the Spirit is doing. Because when we read the Gospels, what we see is what Jesus is doing by the power of the Spirit. When we get to the rest of the New Testament, we are seeing what the the Spirit is doing through the church. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit, which should actually be capitalized, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Have you ever prayed because you knew you really needed to pray about a situation and you just didn't know how to talk to God about what was going on in your life, about an encounter that you had had, about a situation that you were facing, a medical condition, bills that were piling up, ways in which you were experiencing difficulty and trouble and trial, and you go and you try to pray, but you don't even know how to start. Paul tells us that when we don't know how to pray, what to pray about, the words to use, or even the emotions that we're feeling, the Spirit gives a groaning in our prayer. I think sometimes we think when we pray to God that we need to have our words sorted out before we even get to them. All right, these are the things I'm going to pray to God about. This is how I'm going to say it. Sometimes we create formulas for ourselves, right? And if I'm going to pray for this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. Jesus actually gives us a pretty good outline for what a prayer is supposed to look like. And because he gave us an outline, some of us think that that's the only order in which we can pray to God. But if that were true, why would the Spirit need to give groanings for the things we can't even pray? The Spirit is there to speak for you. And so if you find prayer to be a very frustrating and difficult thing, first of all, do it some more, and it will be less frustrating and difficult. But also recognize that when you don't have the words to pray, the Spirit is right there alongside you doing the thing that you can't do. In fact, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. That's most of what the Spirit does, the things you can't do. I'll save that for next week. In addition to that, he knows the thoughts of God. This is going to imply a couple of other points that we're going to talk about here in just a moment. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Have you ever asked yourself, I wonder what God is doing right now? Where, where is all of this going? What is he leading me towards? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? And you find yourself maybe a little frustrated. 
I wish he would just tell me what he's doing. And the truth is, like, God could communicate it to you. He could open up the heavens and reveal it to you and say, Vern, I am telling you right now that I want you to cross this street and go talk to that man standing on the corner who looks like he's just having a bad day. And when you get there, you two are going to become lifelong friends. And what's going to happen as a result of that is that he's going to come to know Jesus. And that's what I'm doing. And that's how I'm working. And sometimes we think that that's the only way that we could really know what it is that God wants us to do. And the truth is, that might be the only way we could really know what it is that God wants us to do. But even if we don't know, the Spirit knows. And that may be frustrating for you, because you may be thinking, I don't want an intermediary to provide me with God's wisdom, plan, knowledge, understanding. I just want him to do it. Here's a clue. The Holy Spirit is God. If the Holy Spirit is directing you to do something, God is already telling you what to do. Now that gets back to the question of, we want to ask, why do you want me to cross the street and talk to this man standing on the corner? And if we're already committed to the Holy Spirit, it may be that why is not the right question, but we might need to have an answer to the question beyond why for people out there, right? We've talked about that recently. This does provide us a question, though. How do I know that it's the Holy Spirit calling me to do this? And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But I want to be really clear that there is direction that the Holy Spirit gives us because he is tapped into the mind of God because God's mind is his mind. If the Spirit directs us, we're pretty confident that it's the Spirit that's directing us. We can be confident that this is the will of God. This is, for me, one of the things that we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about today than some of the other characteristics. He can be grieved. The Spirit can be grieved. And this is maybe the most personal of all of the things on this list, besides one other that we'll talk about in a moment. Chris Seidman points out in his sermon on the person of the Holy Spirit that grieving is a personal thing. Your business partner may be upset with you for a choice that you've made, but he's not grieving the choice you've made. Your, uh, your next-door neighbor may be angry about the fact that you put up some political signs or you didn't water your lawn as often as he did or you've got weeds moving from your lawn into his lawn. But he's not grieved about it. Grieving implies a deep hurt, an aching based on relationship, a loss or a separation. The spirit can be grieved. That's actually, in some ways, good news for us because that means that the spirit, being grieved by our actions, loved us enough to care about the actions that we were taking. We're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and fought against them. I think that should actually be verse 10. I don't know. Uh, Someone out there is correcting me right now, uh, just like on my typo on the big screen last week. But they rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned 
to be their enemy and fought against them. I want you to think about that. There was a disposition that God had towards his people, and when they grieved his spirit, that disposition had to change. He turned. The spirit has such a relationship with us that our actions can actually affect that relationship. It can affect the way that God is disposed towards us. Doesn't mean that he stops loving us, but he may have to begin fighting against the actions we are taking. And this is the case with Israel over and over and over and over again. Why should we think it would be any different than the case with us? When we begin going down the wrong direction and we grieve the spirit, don't we think we're going to face some resistance? In fact, For those of you that are convinced that the Holy Spirit is just a conscience, wouldn't it make sense that if your conscience recognizes that you're doing the wrong thing, it would push against you to do the opposite thing? Again, the Holy Spirit is not Jiminy Cricket. I want to be clear about that. But the Holy Spirit is very much someone who, when we face him as his opponent, we should expect some pushback. Think about the most meaningful relationships you have in your life. Maybe that is your father or your mother, your best friend, your spouse. And when you've made the wrong choice and it has grieved them, would you expect anything less than pushback? In the New Testament example, because some people need one, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're going to read the rest of that passage in just a little bit to understand what it is that God is suggesting might grieve the Holy Spirit in our midst today. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We are warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He loves. This is Romans chapter 15, verse 30, as Paul is kind of wrapping things up, tying bows to be able to really tell the church what he's talking about. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. By the love of the Spirit. Now, Paul addresses a whole lot of fracture in the church, and he wants them to to focus On the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, that is in many ways the answer to the problem of unity that we face. If we spend a little bit more time abiding in the love of the Spirit, I think we're going to have a lot more charity for one another in our approach to the work of the church and the way that we interact with one another. He has a mind. Romans 8, verse 27 says, And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you know the mind of the Spirit? I think the way we know the mind of the Spirit is when we yield to the Spirit and we allow it to direct us, when we allow him to take possession of our life and move us forward in the directions that he would call us to. He instructs and reminds, and we've come back to this verse multiple times. John chapter 14, verse 26 tells us that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in his church. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the redeemed individuals to guide us, to instruct us, to draw to remembrance what has been said to us. This morning, as we kind of work our way through all of this, I I want us to remember that we hold the Bible in high regard. It is, it is our text. We are a people of the book. There are a lot of people who have used Scripture in ways that are appalling throughout history to hurt and harm individuals. It is possible to read the text of Scripture and to pull out pieces that you use to justify the most atrocious behaviors and thinkings that any human being can imagine. But when we read scripture in tune with the spirit, it is very difficult for us to come to conclusions that are going to be anything but the will of God. God speaks to us through the scriptures. There is no doubt about that. But if you look at this list of things that the spirit does, the characteristics of this person that we have been promised, what you will notice is quite often it is relational and it is instructional about who God is. And I want to suggest to you this morning, and we're going to get to this a little bit later in this series, that the Spirit has instructions for the church that we will hear through Scripture, but we will also hear through one another in affirmation of the truth that is in Scripture. So that when we read scripture, we don't read it in abusive ways to put down, to destroy, or to hinder our brothers and sisters in Christ, or even those that are seeking Christ. And if we read scripture apart from the Spirit, we do stand the possibility of misusing scripture. Scripture is not the only place that the Spirit speaks to us but it stands as a way of us sometimes testing whether or not what we are hearing is from the Spirit. And the Spirit tells us whether or not the way we're reading Scripture is in tune with the mind of God. This is very difficult for me because I oftentimes like to think that when I open a book and read it, I get everything that's on the page exactly as it was intended, and I can't possibly be misinterpreting or misrepresenting it. If you've ever sat through an American literature class and you've told someone this is what you know, Tom Sawyer is about, they've turned to you and said, I don't get that at all. You come to the realization that two people can read the same text with the same motivations and walk away with very different ideas about what that text means. We can do that with Scripture, which is why we need the Spirit as a church, as a community, and as individuals to be able to read Scripture in a way that is not contrary to the will of God. That's something I'm willing to stand on. Like if I had a soapbox, I would be getting on it right now, but I don't. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. I was about to miss this. He delivers commands. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Who's delivering the commands? The Holy Spirit. Are these commands contrary, contradictory, against the teachings of Jesus? Absolutely not. But it is the Spirit that is delivering commands. And I think sometimes we forget that God has directives for his people that continue today. And there are things, I believe, that God calls his church to today that we may push against because we may look at Scripture and say, well, I don't see the clear command of this. Is it possible that the Spirit in keeping with the truth that Jesus has taught, is commanding things of us that we're ignoring because we don't hear the command of the Spirit. So I want to put this up here and leave you with two last thoughts. There is in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, this passage in which we are told the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. We are called to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to move back to that previous slide for uh, those who are note takers and we're trying to get all these various scriptures. This is not the way I usually preach, so it's very difficult even for me to keep up with where I'm at. We are comforted by the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you this morning what that comfort looks like for the Newburgh Church of Christ. Taking into consideration all of the characteristics we've discussed this morning of the Holy Spirit, the ways in which he interacts with us, the ways in which we are called to interact with him, what he cares about, what his priorities are, his mission and his work amongst the church. He comforts. What is it that we need to be comforted for? I had mentioned this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32, and I'm going to move us forward there. If If you did not catch all of those scriptures, I'd be happy to give them to you later. In this discussion about grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 4, we're told this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This is the behavior of the church. Be clear on this. This is how we are called to act. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I know There are people in this church who have problems with other people in this church. I I know it because we're human beings. There are people in my house that sometimes have problems with me, and I can't imagine why. I'm such a nice guy and so easy to get along with. 
we have grievances with one another. There are times that maybe we don't say the kindest things about the people that sit in the chairs here with us on Sunday morning. We don't say it when we're in the room with them, of course. We only say it behind their back. We would never say it to their face, right? If you want to know how to grieve the Spirit, talk bad about its friends, his friends. If you want to know how to grieve the Holy Spirit, put down the people he loves. If you want to know how to grieve the Holy Spirit, make it a point to find ways to hold grudges as long as you possibly can against the people in this room. And if you can't find real things to say about them, make some stuff up and gossip about them, right? There is nothing that the church needs more as far as comfort goes than to be at peace with one another. And if you want to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit, you gotta, you got to love his people. Some really smart girls back in the 90s said, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. Spice Girls, okay? Um, it's poetry. If you want to have a deep abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit, you got to spend time with the people that the Spirit loves. The way I came to know my wife, to understand who she was, to grow in relationship with her, was to spend time with her best friends. To grow in relationship with her meant to get to know her parents and to love them and care for them. And there are a lot of people in in my wife's life that I don't always agree with. But I love those people because she loves them. And we grow in relationship with one another because of the love that we share for one another. If the Holy Spirit is a person, we should expect it no less that what he wants from us in our relationship with him is to love the people he loves, to care about the people he loves, to talk kindly about the people he loves, to have tenderheartedness towards the people he loves. And if we can't do that, we should not marvel at the idea that we just are not in touch with the Spirit. So this morning, I encourage you, I plead with you, I beg of you, spend the rest of the week looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32, and ask yourself, am I grieving the Spirit, or am I delighting the Spirit in my interactions with my brothers and sisters in Christ? And I think once we get that sorted out in this room, we have to ask that question about those who bear the name of Christ outside of our door. This is what I've become really convicted of this week. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32 was not in my sermon until Monday, at which point I read it and I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I need to hear this morning. I had a completely different proof text for this. So, you know, this is the way that you can manipulate Scripture to say whatever you want. No, I'm, I'm kidding about that, by the way. I did not do that. I'm running long. I apologize. But this is something that I think we really need to hear and I promise you, I'm not going to move into the 50-minute territory like Chris Seedman would. I'm going, to, I'm going to wrap it up here in just a second. This is the last characteristic that I want to share with you, and I'm sharing it last because now that we have all the other things sorted out, we can move on to this, and next week we're going to discuss it in depth. The Spirit 
empowers. If there is a characteristic of the Spirit that I think we are usually most focused on, it is the empowerment of the Spirit. But I want to be completely clear with you. If you don't have the person of the Spirit sorted out and you move right to the Spirit empowering, you're going to have the entirely wrong idea about what that empowerment is for and what it says about you as an individual. So before you come for next week's sermon, reflect on this week's sermon. I'm going to do that. I'm going to read Ephesians over and over again. I'm going to go back to those passages, and I'm going to dwell and ruminate on them. With that said, I want to encourage you this week to abide with the Spirit, to let it ruminate, dwell, indwell your life, specifically with your interactions with one another. Let's pray, and then Michael will lead us in worship. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the power that we find in it through the spirit that is among us. I thank you that we get to have this relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit, that it is not just a a life force that fills us, but it is a relationship. He is our, our connection to you. He works in us and through us. And I pray for our congregation, I pray for this community of believers to be empowered to love one another well. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in our worship.